start with the first verses. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel and the pleasant harp with the lute. And of course, we know that over 55 times in the Psalms, I mean, it is their hymn book. We have this exhortation to sing. God is big on singing. And it's interesting here. He says, make a joyful shout to the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, rather. And in all these exhortations to sing, what I, what I notice is that he's calling us to sing and to be fully engaged, and to be engaging, not just tepid or lukewarm. Or, and to be frank, I was thinking on this verse uh, this Sunday morning as I was at the Lord's Supper, and I realized that I was kind of just singing in my head and worshiping, but my singing wasn't there. So I, I engaged a little more with my singing. And I think that's glorifying to God for us to, when we, when we get together as a congregation, to, to sing out and to engage and to all of us together to make a joyful shout to the Lord and sing with our whole heart. The Lord wants us to do everything with our whole heart. Praise him with our whole heart, sing with our whole heart. And there is a bit of a distinction between worship and singing. Sometimes we mix the two of them together, but they're they're different. Worship, we can worship. We worship with our heart, right? But we sing with our lips. And we sing, hopefully, what is in our heart. And we sing. Singing is important. And we see this throughout the Psalms. We see it in the New Testament as well. So here we have another exhortation to sing, and yet this was in this book three of the Psalms, and, and most people would agree that the backdrop, the context is the Babylonian exile or that time period, and it's not much to praise God about, but they're singing all the same. And this exhortation is to sing even when times are difficult. Then he goes on to say, <clears throat> once again, we see this God is our strength. And I did a message on that over 75 times in the Psalms. God is our strength. It just slips in and all the time. God is our strength. So they knew where their strength was from. Then we get on to verse 3. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testament when he went throughout the land of Egypt. So... The new moon, the full moon, the seventh month of Israel's year, culminated the festival year with a succession of celebrations. The month began with the blowing of the trumpets, continued with the Day of Atonement on the 10th day, and celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th day when the moon was full. Feast of Tabernacles praised God for his care in the wilderness wanderings and also pointed to the coming kingdom. This was a commandment. And from time to time, it's good to review the, the seven feasts. I'm sure some of you have studied them, but uh, they were given to Moses and uh, in Exodus and repeated in Leviticus 23 and practiced every year. It was the Passover. And this we see um, fulfilled in Christ is our Passover, the unleavened bread. And this we see in the holiness in the believer in 1 Corinthians 5.8. The first fruits are the equivalent of the, rebel, of the, re the resurrection. The weeks is Pentecost. Trumpets 
later on in the, in the fall, uh, prophetically speaks to us of Israel's awakening as a nation in future times in the atonement. Israel will, will excuse me, will repent, and there will be a national cleansing. And then the tabernacle speaks prophetically of Israel and the Millennium Kingdom. Going a little bit beyond our meditation tonight, but it's a great study of the feasts. But what is <clears throat> interesting is that God would have his people remember several times a year what he had done for them. And of course, we have that, that opportunity every Sunday to come together as a group of the Lord's people to remember the Lord. He says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a commandment for a Christian. And it should be our priority to come together with the Lord's people to remember him. Remember what he did for us. It's a very has a very good biblical precedence. Now, just going to go through these texts. I don't have a slide for the next verses, but uh, <coughs> we read that he delivered them from their burden. He called them out in a time of trouble when they were in Egypt, when they, they, they prayed to God and he delivered them. But then, as you know, they went. <laughs> I answered you in the secret place. Most people think that we refer to Mount Sinai. And he says, I tested you with the waters of Meribah. And we know that the, the people of Israel, when they went into the desert, they, they weren't praising the Lord. They are complaining most of the time, right? And they, they ran out of patience and they fell into unbelief. And they ended up wandering around 40 years in the desert when they could have just gone into the promised land. So he has this cry in verse 8. And reminiscent of what happened back in that day. Hear, hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, you will listen to me. <clears throat> there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And this is repeated throughout the Psalms. Is, Look, I, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Not, the, not that golden calf over there. Not those silly idols. I'm the one who saved you. And... He continues on with his exhortation, but my people would not heed my voice. Israel would have none of me. So I, he says, I gave them over to their own stubborn heart, walk in their own counsels. And of course, we see this in Romans 1. God gave them over. But what is interesting here in this, in this psalm, in verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. You remember last week we looked at Psalm 80, and... The people of God then, raise up, were saying, how long, Lord? Why? In other words, they were questioning God's presence. They were saying, in essence, they were saying, God, will you listen to us? You don't seem to hear us. And here the tables are turned. And it's God who's saying, are you listening to me? Oh, that you would listen to me. And so perhaps there's a lesson there for us. Sometimes when we think that God isn't listening to us, Maybe we should ask the question, well, am I, am I listening to him, right? And he gives this, excuse me, he gives this promise that if we were to listen to them, he would, in fact, uh, reward us. And he would reward them with the, with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. The Lord will satisfy us from uh, sometimes unlikely places. And God will always fill our soul. We have a, a similar psalm in Psalm 95. We, we get a similar refrain here. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness. 
And the writer to the Hebrews brings, takes up this verse in chapter 3, verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It's repeated in verse 25 and in chapter 4, verse 7 in Hebrews. And then in the New Testament, we have uh, Jesus who says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Many times, right? And in the book of Revelation, in the seven churches, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then, of course, we get in John chapter 10. I don't have it on the screen, but in John chapter 10, we have these beautiful verses, excuse me, three to five. We read this. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And he brings them out his own sheep and he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So my sheep hear my voice, right? And this is a theme that we have throughout the, uh, the word of God. But the people of God have learned to listen to God. So I'm going to look at six reasons from the Bible why there's interference, why we don't listen to God. And it's not a comprehensive list. There are many reasons. But uh, the, the first one I have down is unbelief. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at each one of these things. Unbelief, fear of man, the Holy Spirit missing, um, idolatry, self-sufficiency, and Satan. And these are looking at it from a negative point of view, but if we flip it around, we'll get the positive thing as to what we're going to do. So unbelief. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, we were just reading there, when there's this exhortation about listening and not hardening your heart, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in God departing from the living one. And we get it again, <laughs> excuse me, get it again in verse in chapter four, verse six and seven. Even in the wilderness, they were in unbelief. I was thinking of it. You know, unbelief is not a modern concept. They didn't grow up learning about evolution. They didn't grow up with secular humanism. This was 3,500 years ago. And they didn't believe. So it seems that unbelief is attached to our heart. It's not a modern phenomenon. And my mind went to the Lord Jesus when people were walking away from him. And Jesus said to the 12 in John 6, 67, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what's the alternative, right? What's the alternative? Uh, is there anything better than the Lord Jesus Christ? We know there isn't, and we've come to believe in him. But we have to be resolute in our belief. In, in Joshua 24, 24, the people said to Joshua, I mean, he put a challenge to them, and they came back and they said, the Lord our God, we will serve you. In his voice, we will obey. And of course, you remember the story of Elijah and, and, and Baal. And Elijah came to all the people and he said to them, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The people answered him not a word. So he is putting it before the people, like, like figure out who you're going to believe and follow him. And that's our, uh, that's what we're to do too. We can't 
be flip-flopping. We come to a decision to follow Christ, we believe in him, and we continue on like that. We don't go back. There's no other option, really. So, fear of man, fear pressure. Remember the story of Leighton alluded to this, or mentioned it actually on Sunday, 1 Samuel 15, 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people, and I obeyed their voice. Remember, Samuel had given Saul instructions, King Saul. He got impatient. People were yapping at him, and he just went ahead and, and sacrificed and didn't wait for Samuel. It's interesting because if you remember the story of Samuel, when he was a boy, his mother brought him to the temple, tabernacle, and he, and he served Eli. And he had that, as a young boy, he had that vision of him that in the nighttime, he heard a voice. He thought Eli was calling him. He went three times. And Eli said, Eli figured it out, and then go back. It's God talking to you. It's interesting because Samuel learned as a young boy to listen to God. And that was, that was his defining characteristic. Samuel listened to God, and that's why he was a prophet. Saul, on the other hand, sometimes he listened, sometimes he didn't, and that's why he got into trouble. And so it is for us. In John 5, Jesus says, How can you believe who receive honor one from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Right? He says, you're not going to believe if you keep on trying to Please, this guy and that guy and that guy. We have to seek God. We want to believe. And then the Lord Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. So we're to, we're to not, be, not be let our peers pressure us into not following the Lord. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is missing in your life. Perhaps you've never been born again. Perhaps you haven't cultivated a walk with the Lord and listening to the Lord and letting the, the, the Spirit of God minister to your soul. I like this verse in Acts chapter 19. Paul goes and visits these believers. He says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They said, we, we have not even so much as heard there was a Holy Spirit. And there are people today who they'll say they're believers, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. They haven't been born again. And so when it comes to Bible reading, it just becomes sort of a uh, an academic exercise. And yet we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 in particular, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. By God, and then again in First John two twenty, and verse twenty seven, we read that the anointing teaches you all things. It's the Spirit of God who teaches us the Word of God, and we are to desire the Word like newborn babes, <clears throat> newborn infants. Uh, I I remember when our children were born, and Nancy nursed, I believe, all of them, and. Um, <clears throat> I, I was afraid they were going to devour her. Was, they were so anxious to, to eat, right, to feed. They're like, whoa, slow down. And, and we, if you're born again, that's how you'll desire the Word of God. The Word of God, when we're a new Christian, when we're born again, we want to feed on the Word of God. 
<clears throat> I was born again when I was 14. And before that, I never read much. And I certainly didn't read the Bible. But when the Lord came into my life, I read the Bible. And every night, nobody told me I should read it. I just loved reading it. Because God was ministering to us. He was Holy Spirit. So I trust that you have and you enjoy and you know that relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, applies it to our hearts, blesses our soul, and speaks for our soul. It's not an academic exercise per se. Idolatry. In our psalm, in verse 81, verse 9, we read, There shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. And we piece it, look, it's, it's God who saved you from Israel, not from Egypt, rather, nothing else. And so, too, we've been saved from our sin by, by the Lord, nothing else. And yet there can be idols in there. Idols in our heart. I think my own humble observation in North America in particular, one of the biggest idols we have in, in our country, in North America, is money. Money, money is an idol. Because in North America, anybody can make a lot of money. And, uh, but the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise him. You cannot serve God and men. Jesus says you, you can't do both. And yet, we're severely tempted to in our country to pursue wealth. Matthew 13, 22, about the sower and the seed and the soils. We read this, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So even in the parable of the sower, we see that the deceitfulness of riches can be choked out the word. And uh, in the pursuit of, of wealth and of money, we can choke out the voice of the Word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. And it's hard sometimes to do that. Self-sufficiency. In Psalm 81, we're looking at 11b and verse 12, it says, And Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. So the Lord says, look, you don't need me? Okay, do it your own way. And yet we read in John 15, verse 4, we read, uh, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We cannot do anything <clears throat> without the Lord. We're all, each one of us is, is in desperate need of the Lord. And yet we can be like the uh, church at Laodicea. In Revelation 3.17, they say, because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked? These were Christians. <clears throat> and they were they were just, they're like the emperor who had no clothes. I mean, they just they just didn't realize how desperately needed they were because of, they were taken up with what they thought they had. Self-sufficiency. And last but not least, Satan. I like this little phrase in... Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, Lest Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, Paul could say this. We, we're not ignorant of how Satan works. And in Genesis 3, verses 1 and 4, 
What does Satan say? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the fruit of every garden? Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Satan, right from the get-go, is one of his main tools is doubt, sowing doubt on the, the, the truth of the word of God and the intentions of God. This is what Satan does. He's the great doubter. Did God really say Revelation 12 and 8, he's, he's referred to as the accuser and the deceiver. He's the deceiver. And then in Matthew 4, Satan tries to deter the Lord Jesus himself from doing God's will. I mean, if Satan tried to stop the Lord Jesus from doing his will, what about us? And how does he do it? He says, if you're the son of God, and it goes with his doubt again. If, if, implying that maybe he wasn't, right? So, uh, and we know how the Lord, the Lord rebukes him with his word. And Satan tries to trip up Christians. Every now and again, I think I might have heard Christians say, oh, it's not a bad thing to doubt. Well, I'd like somebody to show me in the Bible where it's a good thing to doubt. <laughs> it's not. It's a good thing to think things through and to search out things, but to doubt, doubt is Satan's tool. That's his method. <clears throat> and he uses it to trip up Christians. We read in, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 10, uh, He who then does not believe God has made him a liar, because he's not believed the testimony that God gave to us of his son. When we don't believe in the word of God, and we, when we despise the word of God, we're despising, despising the Lord Jesus Christ, we're making him up with him. It's a serious thing. Without the word of God. God can help us with our doubts, <clears throat> but uh, you know, the Lord said to the adulterous woman, Go and sin no more. He loves sinners and he loves doubters. And he didn't say to her, keep on committing adultery. He said, No, we go and sin no more. So we're doubters, we can come to God, he'll have mercy on us, but doubt is not a good thing. So what's the remedy then? Well, it's the word of God, right? In Hebrews 4, verses 11 and 12, we'll read this. We know these verses. It says, let us therefore, what? Be diligent. Makes an effort. You enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And all of us are here tonight. Why? Because we we come to know and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because we read his word and it convicted us, showed us who we are, and we know it's the word of God. The Holy Spirit applies his word to our hearts. So when, when we read the Bible, we need to listen to what he would tell us personally. And that's what he wants to do every time we read the Bible. He wants to speak to us and he wants us to listen to him. And then we read in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, find grace in, in time of need. So uh, <clears throat> the Lord would have us to cast aside unbelief, uh, fear of man, uh, rely on his Holy Spirit, cast aside idolatry, cast aside self-sufficiency, not be ignorant of Satan and how he likes to put himself. Go to his word, trust in him, 
And that's how we'll learn to uh, listen. And the Lord says, oh, that my people would listen to me. And I think that should be the, the defining characteristic of Christians, should be that we listen, we listen to God. And when he shows us something, we accept it, we confess our sins, we carry on, and we let God speak to us. Right? That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. God wants to have that relationship with us, and of course we listen, and the implication is we, we obey, right? And he wants to speak to us. May God bless his word to our, our blessed God, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for, you, for the fact that you in fact, want to speak to us. And uh, we're thankful that you do. We're thankful that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And when we come to you sincerely, <coughs> sincerely, you by your Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts and we know your voice. So, Father, help us to be, help us to listen to you. And we, we thank you and praise you that indeed you want to Speak to each and every one of us in a personal way. And lead us and guide us. And we praise your holy name. Bless your word to us in Jesus' name.